always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Search Sky Broadband to get started. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Jennifer Ryan, standing in for Connor and Sirica. Today, the race for the Conservative Party leadership is down to two, with either Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak poised to become the next UK Prime Minister. I talked to London editor Dennis Staunton about the contest so far, who these two rivals are, and what happens next in this campaign. Dennis, the race for the Tory leadership is down to two names, Foreign Secretary Liz Truss and former Chancellor of the Exchequer Rishi Sunak, and they'll now face a runoff vote with the result to be declared on September 5th. The process began just over a week ago with eight candidates and through a series of votes by Tory MPs, one candidate after another was eliminated. How did these two names, Sunak and Truss, emerge out of that field? Was it obvious from the start that they would? It wasn't necessarily obvious, but if you look at what happened, really, if we go back... I've just been talking to the media about today's economic figures, which show that our jobs market is thriving. With It had looked for some time months ago as if Rishi Sunak had been the obvious successor because he had been very popular during the coronavirus pandemic when he was handing out lots of cash. Thanks to the government's efforts and policies to support the economy. His star had fallen because there had been these revelations about his wife's tax affairs and about the fact that he had held on to a green card long after he had stopped living in America some years ago. No, I, I had a green card because I, as a legacy of my time living and working. But as soon as the race began, it became very clear that Rishi Sunak was back in there, was in it to win it, and he started to get a lot of endorsements from other ministers. He's the guy that can win. At the end of the day, I think that's pretty important uh, factor in all of this. At the same time, Liz Truss was trying to present herself as the sort of continuity Boris candidate. And make sure we deliver on the promises we set out in 2019. Once again, she got endorsements from some of Boris's most loyal lieutenants, Jacob Rees-Mogg and Nadine Dorries. She's a proper Eurosceptic. She'll deliver for the voters and she believes in low taxation. And Thank she's you, a Liz. woman. This was despite the fact that she had never really been a Brexiteer. She had campaigned to remain in the European Union in 2016, but she kind of got their stamp of approval. And when the race sort of got into the final stages, there were these were the sort of the two uh, establishment candidates. You had had a couple of candidates from the right, Suella Braverman representing the very hardcore Eurosceptics. The solution to fixing illegal migration. Kemi Badenoch representing the right-wing side of the culture wars. The policy that was being pushed was self-ID. And then you had two clean-break candidates. One was Tom Tugendhat, who has never been a minister. What you need is a clean start. And the other was Penny Mordaunt, who was a junior trade minister and appeared to be the favourite of the party membership. And she was doing very well, and she had a, a kind of a fresh style about her. I am your best shot at winning that election. I am the candidate that Labour fear the most. And it ended up, the final three was Penny Mordaunt, Liz Truss, Rishi Sunak, and Liz Truss leapfrogged from third place into second place, overtook Penny Mordaunt. Penny Mordaunt was wiped out, and these two go forward. And let's talk about uh, why these two individuals have risen to the top. First, Rishi Sunak, the former Chancellor of the Exchequer, finance minister, essentially. What should we know about him? 
Well, one thing to know about him is that he was a very, very committed Brexiteer. When he arrived into Parliament a few years ago, he was regarded as being very much on the right of the party. And as a new member of Parliament, he came under huge pressure from David Cameron and George Osborne and the party establishment to fall into line and to campaign for Remain in the referendum in 2016. Instead, he believed in the case, the economic case for Brexit, uh, and he thinks that actually if you, as they would put it, set yourself free from European regulation, that there are opportunities for Britain to be a kind of a rival to, to Europe and to do very well in certain sectors. He's very rich. Uh, he and his wife between them have about £750 million, which apparently is more than the Queen. And his wife, her family own Infosys, the big tech company. And he also made a lot of money himself. He was a banker with Goldman Sachs. He doesn't drink any alcohol. He's kind of a rather a clean living type. He had quite a lot to put up with with uh, Boris Johnson because his political philosophy is very much that of a Thatcherite and he believes that you don't spend money until you have it, uh, whereas Boris Johnson believes, as he said himself, his policy towards cake was that he was in favour of having it and of eating it. What Boris Johnson wanted to do was to please the people who were on uh, lower incomes, who needed well-funded public services, say in the North and the Midlands, and then also to keep the people down the south who wanted their taxes low to keep them happy. So he really wanted to spend, 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 and he didn't really want to put taxes up to pay for it. But Rishi Sunak insisted that any of these spending things had to be matched by tax increases. And that's where tension really grew up between him and Boris Johnson. Hi, we've just got the latest results in and they show that our campaign has got great momentum after a tough set of debates. I want to say thanks to all my colleagues. How is he coming across in this leadership campaign? I think it's fair to say that neither of the two remaining candidates are what you might call political athletes. They're, neither of them are especially talented politically. They're not great uh, natural communicators. Rishi Sunak is not as wooden as uh, Liz Truss, but he's... He's not terribly loose either. Uh, he's quite quick on his feet in debates, but he just doesn't come across as being uh, hugely natural uh, in many other kinds of appearances. And then the other thing that people say, if you talk to MPs about what their local constituency associations say, a lot of them would say that people feel as if his life is too remote from theirs, that it's not that they blame him for being rich, but they just feel that he has a kind of an international lifestyle. The Daily Mail keeps publishing stories about how much his clothes cost. And so they, he was wearing a pair of shoes that cost £495 the other day. And then uh, they managed to spot the label on his suit uh, yesterday and discovered that, that cost £3,500. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. But anyway, uh, so he has this image of perhaps having a life experience which is different from uh, from that of a lot of other people. And let's move on to Liz Truss, the Foreign Secretary. She's someone we've become familiar with in this country in particular because of her role in Boris Johnson's plans to scrap the Northern Ireland Protocol. What has her rise in the Tory party been like? She's the longest serving government minister still there. She was a government minister under David Cameron, under Theresa May in various portfolios and under Boris Johnson. She started off life as a Liberal Democrat. Her parents, there's a bit of a myth that they were terribly left-wing Labour people. They were Labour people, but they were generally speaking more Blairite than Corbynite, uh, if, if you know what I mean. And uh, But her mother did take her to Greenham Common, uh, which was an anti-nuclear protest during the 1980s. 
And so she had this sort of semi kind of radical background. And she, as a young person, was a member of the Liberal Democrats. And Newsnight dug up this uh, tape of her addressing the Lib Dem conference in the 90s and calling for the abolition of the monarchy. They said, abolish them. We've had enough. Partly, perhaps because she was always an ambitious person, uh, fell into line for the uh, the Brexit referendum, and she backed Remain. And she was a very forceful advocate uh, for remaining in the European Union, made some very good arguments in favour of it. The single market isn't something that is a sexy, exciting thing to explain, but it is really crucial to the amount of growth we've seen. Then as soon as uh, the referendum was lost, she adapted to the new reality. She now says that she made a mistake, she was wrong, and uh, and so she has refashioned herself as a tribune for the hard Brexiteer right. She's also uh, presented herself as having been loyal to Boris Johnson. I'm a loyal person. I'm loyal to Boris Johnson. Part of the trouble that Rishi Sunak has is that the people around Boris Johnson including Boris Johnson himself, believed that Rishi Sunak was the assassin. That even though he wasn't the first person to resign from the government, that was Sajid Javid, that actually uh, it was Rishi Sunak was uh, plotting to overthrow Boris Johnson for quite some time. So they've identified him as the culprit in this great, grand betrayal nar- narrative. Liz Truss has presented herself as being somebody who remained loyal to the end. She stayed on in the government. She's still foreign secretary. And so she's hoping to soak up any of that sort of Boris Johnson nostalgia vote that's going around the place. And she's also presenting herself as having a different approach to economics. We have had a consensus of the Treasury, of economists, of the Financial Times, of other other outlets peddling a particular type of economic policy for the last 20 years. Well, here's another and conversion from you back to it hasn't, policy when you were it hasn't of the Treasury. delivered growth. Because he had to fund the spending that Boris Johnson insisted on, Rishi Sunak put up taxes, and taxes are now hitting their highest level for 70 years. And she has said, I'm going to unwind all these tax increases. Rishi Sunak is saying, well, you can't do this because you've got to deal with inflation first. If you cut taxes, it fuels inflation. And what we've got to do is to get control of inflation. And then we start cutting taxes. And so the contest that we're having and that we're about to see over the next few weeks is a contest between these two approaches to the economy. Do you actually have to uh, pay for everything as you go, as Rishi Sunak says, so fiscal discipline, or do you actually go for growth and cut taxes and just hope that everything takes care of itself. The candidates took part in TV debates on ITV and Channel 4 over the last week. And there were some fiery exchanges, weren't there? Like particularly in the second debate between Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak. Yes. In a part of the format in this ITV debate was that they invited the uh, the candidates to ask one other candidate a question directly. And so when uh, Rishi Sunak's turn came, he posed a question to Liz Truss. Right. Uh, my question's for Liz, actually. And uh, Liz, in your, in your past, you've been both a Liberal Democrat and a Remainer. I was just wondering which one you regretted most. <laughs> when Liz Truss came around to ask her question, she decided that she was going to ask Rishi Sunak a question. My question's for Rishi. I'll oh, give him that. that. I'll give him that. <laughs> do, you st- do you still think that we should be doing more business with China? 
So the tone of the debates was quite combative, and particularly between those two. Risha, you have raised taxes to the highest level in 70 years. Liz Truss was determined to suggest that somehow he was uh, clinging to this sort of high-tax orthodoxy, and he then was accusing her of kind of fairy tale economics. Liz, we have to be honest. We we have to be honest. But borrowing your way out of inflation isn't a plan. It's a fairy tale. I think it is wrong. Generally speaking, most people would have thought uh, Rishi Sunak performed better. In fact, he did. He was uh, undoubtedly in command of everything, including the facts. Whereas she, Liz Truss, is an exceptionally wooden performer. She's got a kind of a halting delivery. And she also was quite vague when it came to talking about the details of economic policy. She didn't seem quite as comfortable in that sort of policy detail as Sunak was. And there was supposed to be another debate on Sky News on Wednesday, but that was cancelled after Sunak and Trust pulled out. And that was reportedly due to concerns uh, amongst the Conservatives that the debates were exposing disagreements and splits within the party. Do you think those clashes between Trust and Sunak will have any lasting impact or will they be all forgotten about once the leader is appointed? Well, the Labour Party has already been clipping some of these insults they've been throwing at each other. And the fact that, you know, not just Liz Truss, but various other uh, of the candidates have been busy trashing the entire record of the Conservative government over the past few years. So that's obviously useful propaganda for Labour. She said, again, her words, here they are, if Rishi has got this great plan for growth, why haven't we seen it in the last two and a half years at the Treasury? I think from now on, one sits down to just debates between two candidates. It actually probably will not be quite as vicious. I think it will be uh, pretty combative still in terms of ideas. But because uh, it's just the two of them, I think it might be a little bit more polite. Coming up. What impact will a new Prime Minister have on the UK's relationship with Ireland and the EU and its approach to the Northern Ireland Protocol? Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, or swiping in the bathroom. Hey! Get out of here! I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base. In the first stage of this leadership battle, the candidates were trying to win the support of 300-odd fellow MPs. The big difference now is that the final decision is made by a vote of Conservative Party members. Up to 200,000 members have until September 2nd to send in a postal ballot. So they will be trying to convince a different group of people of their merits. What difference does that make to the campaign and to the arguments that Truss and Sunak are making to try to win at this stage? Well, MPs, uh, when they vote for a candidate, they've got all kinds of complicated motives. Some of them are motivated by ideology. Others are motivated by friendship. Some are motivated by the fact they can't stand somebody. Others are motivated by the fact they want to get a job. And so, for example, when uh, an awful lot of people were piling in in support of uh, Rishi Sunak, 
Some ambitious MPs thought, well, his cabinet is probably full, whereas if I go with uh, Liz Truss, maybe uh, she's got a shallower bench and I'd be more useful to her. So there, there's been, you know, so they have got all these complex motivations for doing what they're doing. Uh, it's more straightforward with the Conservative membership in the sense that uh, it's a kind of a straightforward campaign and they're going to have 12 hustings where all around the country the two of them are going to appear and they'll be asked questions before uh, Conservative Party members who can uh, pose questions themselves. And then they're also going to do some television debates. There's one on Monday on uh, BBC television. And they'll do various other uh, appearances. And what they're both going to do is going, they're going to go and visit as many Conservative Party associations and as many and meet as many members as they possibly can. But a lot of it will be this kind of air war uh, on the airwaves and then also in the newspapers. There are certain newspapers, certain publications that Conservative members tend to read. The Daily Mail, The Telegraph, to a lesser extent, The Times, The Spectator magazine. These are all very influential. And so what happens in those makes a big difference. The male is very much behind Liz Truss and very much against Rishi Sunak. The others are a bit more neutral in their approach to things. But also because at the moment Liz Truss appears to be ahead in terms of the polling that we have of the Conservative Party membership, Rishi Sunak is going to have to make up ground and he's going to have to do it quite quickly because generally speaking with postal votes, this is true of all postal votes, people tend to either uh, return them, you know, fill them in, return them right away, or they wait until the last minute. And so a lot of people are likely to vote in the first week or so of August. So Rishi Sunak, in a way, really only has a couple of weeks to kind of make up this gap. And so he's probably going to uh, present himself uh, as the Thatcherite candidate in terms of fiscal responsibility. But I think he probably also has to go after Liz Truss and damage her in the eyes of the membership to suggest that she was a Remainer, that she was a Lib Dem. Uh, their polling and their research suggests that not everybody knows that. And so they soon will. And uh, they'll also know anything else on flattering there is to know about her, I think. And then I think that also uh, because uh, he's a better media performer than Liz Truss is, he's much less shy about media appearances than Liz Truss. Liz Truss, until today, like during the entire campaign, Liz Truss did no broadcast interviews. He's more comfortable in that setting. So I think he'll try to, to to use those advantages that he has to overcome some of the advantages that she does. And Dennis, who is going to win on September 5th? What's your best bet? I've no idea. And uh, I think that's partly because, partly because it's the future and I don't know, but it's also because uh, the Conservative Party membership are difficult to poll and they're also very volatile. A year ago, Rishi Sunak was way ahead in the uh, leadership polls. Then their favourite was Ben Wallace, the Defence Secretary. Then it was Liz Truss. Then it was Penny Mordaunt. Then it was Kemi Badenoch. And now it's Liz Truss again. And so who knows where we're going to be in a couple of weeks' time. When Boris Johnson won his massive majority, he had total control of the party. And it was only after scandals caught up with him that he had to begin to make concessions to the different factions within the Conservatives. The new leader won't have even won a general election, never mind a huge majority. So how much authority will Sunak or Truss have over the party and all its competing interests? 
That's going to be a big problem because uh, Rishi Sunak won more votes from the MPs than anybody else, but he only won 38% of the votes. Boris Johnson at that stage in the contest in 2019 won 51%. And Theresa May in 2016 had won more than 60% of the MPs' votes. So those two, Johnson and May, were able to say, uh, you know, I have the backing not just of the membership, but of the uh, of the MPs as well. Uh, in this case, uh, whoever, whether it's Truss or Sunak, wins, most MPs will have voted against them, will not have chosen them. So that's for a start. The other problem is that actually the Conservative Party is ungovernable. And so if you think about it, you go back to David Cameron, he wasn't able to control his party. And that's why we had the Brexit referendum. He had to do that for party management reasons. Theresa May quite clearly wasn't able to control her party, which is why she was got rid of. Boris Johnson purged his party of dozens of his enemies. And he then won an 80-seat majority. And he couldn't control the party. So given all of that, how are either of these going to... And there are some people, for example, some of the MPs who backed Penny Mordaunt in the leadership campaign are feeling very bitter towards Liz Truss because they think that Liz Truss's team led a kind of a black ops uh, campaign to undermine and to smear Penny Mordaunt. And some of those have been saying quietly over the last 24 hours they could never be loyal to Liz Truss. There might be others who might feel that uh, Rishi Sunak uh, is the the hand that wielded the knife uh, on Boris Johnson. And so some Boris Johnson loyalists will never be inclined to show loyalty to him. So I think whoever wins, they're going to have a big problem with managing their their party. Bringing it closer to home now for a moment, at the outset of this competition, at least, it was reported uh, that in Irish government circles, it was a case of anybody but Liz Truss. She is the brains behind the bill to scrap the Northern Ireland Protocol, as we mentioned. Is it the case that her winning is still the worst case scenario for Ireland and the EU, or has that changed? Well, Ireland and the EU and Irish politicians and EU politicians, by making statements like that about saying how terrible Liz Truss would be, are really acting as campaign managers for Liz Truss. They they really couldn't be helping her more. Uh, and so, uh, but anyway, that's uh, yeah. I think that's probably the perception that they think that because she uh, was the author of this Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, that she's wedded to it, and it would be more difficult for her to walk away from. It's also true that the people who brought her to the dance were the Eurosceptics of the European Research Group. And so they will demand that uh, she's going to do the thing that they uh, elected her to do, which is to push through this bill. But having said that, all of the candidates, not just uh, Richie Sunak and Liz Truss, but every one of them, including people on the left of the party like Tom Tugendhat, they all supported the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill. And if you think about what the function of that bill is, for some people, the idea is that you actually push through the bill and then you enact it and then you actually, you just not just give the ministers the powers to suspend and scrap parts of the protocol, but they actually go ahead and do that. But actually, the mainstream view within the British government is that this is really about trying to shape the negotiations. It's trying to put pressure on the Europeans to come back to the negotiating table and to come up with some kind of 
answer, which addresses some of the issues that the British government and that uh, the unionists have with the protocol. And the protocol bill has gone through its stages in the House of Commons initially. It's going to go to the House of Lords, but it's going to meander its way through the House of Lords at a very, very slow pace. And there's very little chance that this bill will actually be on the statute book's by the end of the year. It's much more likely to be sometime into next year. And so whoever becomes leader of the Conservative Party is going to have to go to Brussels or or meet with Brussels and try to reset the relationship. There are all kinds of other reasons why it's in Britain's interest to have uh, good neighbourly relations with uh, with its European neighbours. And it's quite clear that until this issue of the protocol is resolved, it's not possible. The Europeans, for their part... Uh, we're never going to give Boris Johnson anything in terms of a concession because it would be wasted on him. He was politically too weak to do anything with it. And in fact, probably politically too weak to accept it. And so, uh, so there was no point in doing anything for him. Whoever comes in next might have a better chance. I think that, uh, you know, but having said that, I think that Irish and European expectations probably need to be tempered, particularly if, you're, if we're thinking about Rishi Sunak. Because there's no possibility, I think, that Rishi Sunak is going to walk into Downing Street and say, I'm now going to withdraw this Northern Ireland Protocol bill. He will allow this to continue through its stages. But at the same time, he will negotiate, I would say, with the European Union. And I would say that he has probably a better chance of getting a deal, uh, partly because the Europeans will be more inclined to give him a deal. He's the kind of technocratic politician that they recognise. He used to work in Goldman Sachs. A lot of them worked in Goldman Sachs too. They're kind of, they're sort of, you know, they, he, they imagine that he's a kind of a rational actor who will kind of speak the language of uh, economics and political economy and international diplomacy in a conventional way. And their fear with Liz Truss would be that she, because of her uh, political circumstances, will be obliged to carry on the rather unpredictable diplomatic style of Boris Johnson. Dennis Staunton, thanks for talking to us. That's it for today. Thanks to our London editor, Dennis Staunton, and you can follow all of his reporting on the Tory leadership race on irishtimes.com. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon. In the news, we'll be taking a break for a couple of weeks, but we'll be back in early August with lots of new episodes.